Well, welcome again. My name is Todd Schlechty, Transitional Lead Pastor here at Christ Church. Pleased to be here with you. Pastor John told me that I have 30 minutes to explain to you what that song means, how it relates to a sermon John Wesley preached 300 years ago, and how it's relevant to your life today. So uh, we'll see how I do. First of all, I have no idea what that song means. I don't think anyone else does either. I have never even known what the words of that song were until I saw them on the screen. I thought, I thought they were something totally different. Apparently, uh, Bruce Springsteen uh, brought in some ideas from growing up in New Jersey and some other ideas, but I love the idea of blinded by the light. You know, here at Christ Church, our mission is to shine the light of Christ into the world because there are dark places in this world that need the light, but also because there are all these, are these false lights in this world, these idolatrous little uh, images of God or icons or idols that, that catch our attention and, and lead us and guide us away from the true light. And, and ultimately, when you first see these things, the materialism, the narcissism of the age, the, the allure of social media or technology, we think these things are going to be our salvation. These things are what's going to fix our life. And we start down that path and then we realize this is a dead end. And sometimes our lives, whether we know who Jesus is or don't, can be blinded by these false lights. And so we want to shine the light of Christ. You know, Jesus said in John 8, 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's what we want. We want that light that leads to life, that light that gives life. We are in our fourth week of a sermon series. We've been calling this sermon series Faith Rocks. In this sermon series, as I said, we're listening to some classic rock music. Didn't the band do an awesome job? They are amazing. I see Ralph back there doing this on the guitar, and I'm like, does the guitar even do that? You know, how does he do that? Just amazing. We've been enjoying them all through this series. We have two more weeks in this series. We've been looking at a 300-year-old Wesley sermon as well that teaches kind of a timeless truth of the Christian faith. These are kind of classic foundational theological ideas. And then we've been trying to apply that to our own lives. And today we're looking at this idea of the almost Christian. This was a sermon that John Wesley preached in 1741. He entitled this sermon, The Almost Christian, and that's what we're thinking about today question to get into that idea. And the question is, have you ever almost done something important? Anybody ever almost done something important? You didn't do it, but you almost did it. You, you thought about it, you planned it out, you were going to do it, but you didn't do it. Ever almost put that addition on the house, you were going to do it, but you never did it. Or ever almost take that second honeymoon, or for some of us that first honeymoon, you were going to do it, but you, you never did it ever almost do something. In some areas of life, almost is almost as good as the real thing, right? In a lot of areas of life, almost is good enough. And in some areas of life, almost is, is, is as good as doing the whole thing. If your kid came home from college and she told you she almost got straight A's this semester, that would be great, you know? Pat her on the back of three A's and two A minuses or three A's and a B plus. It's almost straight A's. It, that's awesome. We don't have to be these overbearing Northern Virginians that everything has to be perfect for us, you know? 
almost in a lot of areas of life are good enough. If I told you Christ Church was 34 years old and Pastor John has been the lead pastor here for almost the entire time, you would know he's been here for like 30 years, which is amazing. It's an amazing gift to us here at Christ Church. It's an amazing gift to John and his family. In the United Church, that's like a miracle to stay someplace 30 years. Thank you, Pastor John, for that. That's, yeah. <laughs> And in so many areas of life, almost is like the real thing. But there's some areas in life where almost is far from all the way, where almost is almost closer to not at all than to the whole thing. I had a friend several years ago who uh, almost got married. He, he didn't get married. He, he met a young lady that he thought was the love of his life. They dated for probably a couple years he bought a ring. He asked her to marry him. She said yes. They got engaged. They planned a date of the wedding. They went through pre-royal counseling, and then they planned another date. They pushed that one back, and then at some point, she said it was over, and he was devastated. I'm sure she was as well, but if you ask him today, you know, have you ever been married? He would probably tell you, well, I almost was once, you know. Well, are you married? No, no, never married. Because in some areas of life, almost is more like not at all than all the way. In fact, if you ask me, it'd probably be like, I wish none of that ever even happened. It was so painful. Almost, in some areas of life, is closer to not at all than it is to all the way. And for John Wesley, that was true of the Christian faith. That the Christian faith, being almost Christian, is more like not Christian at all than it is like being the true Christian, all the way Christian, what he called the all-in Christian. And so he preached this message in 1741, July 25th, at St. Mary's Church on the campus of Oxford University. And he was preaching to himself as a student. He wasn't a student. He was a fellow in the church at this time. But he's preaching to his mindset when he was a student. And he's preaching to his fellow faculty members who are people that he imagines are these folks that fit in this category of almost Christian. John Wesley had been an almost Christian. John Wesley grew up in a pastor's home. He had this saintly mother and godly father. He went to a Christian university, Oxford University, he studied theology. He got ordained in the Church of England. He became a missionary to the American colony of Georgia. He went back to England. He was a fellow at Oxford. He taught New Testament and Greek and philosophy. And yet it wasn't until 1738 that Wesley's heart was strangely warmed with God's spirit that Wesley felt Christ uh, give him this assurance that he was God's child, this knowledge that he belonged to God, that he was filled with God's love. And this sermon came just three years later as he reflects on what it was like to believe Christianity, to believe in Jesus, to know theology, to have served Jesus, but be an almost Christian, not an altogether Christian. And he thought about his classmates and his fellow faculty members, and he thought about how many of them live in this almost state. And so he preached this message about what it is to be an altogether Christian. His primary text comes from Acts chapter 26, 
I'm going to read some of this text for you and give you a bunch of the background. Let me, let me just read the first verse, and then I'll give you some background, and then we'll talk about the, the, the way that Wesley interpreted this for this idea of almost Christian. It says, while Paul was saying this in his defense, Festus said in a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning has driven you mad. So if you remember the story of Paul, Paul was this persecuted the church. He came, he saw the light of Christ. He followed Christ. He was a missionary. Late in his ministry, he'd planted all these churches, and he wanted to bless the church in Jerusalem, which was the Jewish church. He was called to be the apostle of the Gentiles, but the Jewish church, Christian church in Jerusalem was very poor and was persecuted. And so he went around uh, the Greek world collecting an offering that then he was going to take to Jerusalem to give it to the church in Jerusalem. And that's what he did. This was about 57, 58 AD. He takes this offering to Jerusalem. While he's there, he renews his uh, commitment, his vows to uh, Judaism, and he goes through some purifications in the temple, and he's involved in the temple uh, like he had been growing up and when he was a Pharisee. And while he was there, the temple elite, the Pharisees, the the high priests recognized him and wanted to kill him. A, a mob actually formed at, at their encouragement to try to kill Paul. But there was Roman guards there who saw what was happening, who broke it up, who arrested Paul, put him in jail. And he ended up spending two years in jail where the Roman guards did not know what to do with him. They moved him from Jerusalem to Caesarea, which was the headquarters of the Roman colony of Judea. And he just sat there in jail. There was a governor named Felix who knew he couldn't give, him, them, give Paul back to the Jewish temple authorities because they would kill him, but didn't know what to do with him, and so they just left him in jail. So he spent two years in jail there in uh, Caesarea, and then a new governor came whose name was Festus. That's who we're introduced to there in verse 24. As soon as Festus came, the high priest and the members of the Sanhedrin came to Caesarea and said, we want Paul to be given to us so he can stand trial before the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem so we can put him to death. And Festus, not knowing anything about this and wanting to be on the good side with the temple authorities, said, okay, we'll do that. But Paul, you remember, is a Roman citizen, and he said, you can't send me back to them. They're going to kill me. I'm a Roman citizen. I have a right to have my trial in Rome, and you've got to send me to Rome. This is a ton of background, I know, and right now you're thinking, what does this have to do with almost Christian? We're getting there. Okay, so Festus has to now send Paul to Rome to stand trial, but he doesn't even know what the charges are. There were two charges. One is that he brought a Gentile into the temple, which he didn't do, and the second was that he was proclaiming Jesus as risen from the dead, which he did everywhere. Uh, but neither of those seem like a real crime against the Roman authorities. And so he asked the Jewish king of Galilee, King Agrippa II, to come and to interview Paul with him to find out what charges to send to Rome. And here's that second half of that trial. Paul's been announcing Jesus risen from the dead, been trying to evangelize um, Festus and Agrippa, share Christ with them. And Festus says, you're out of your mind. And Paul's response is this, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, the Roman governor. But I utter words of sober truth. For the king knows about these matters, and I speak to him 
also with confidence, since I'm persuaded that none of these things escape his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. Paul says, everybody here knows that we believe Jesus rose from the dead, that he was nailed on the cross by the Jewish leadership, the temple authorities, and by Rome, and that I'm going around the world proclaiming this. King Agrippa, Paul says, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Agrippa replied to Paul, in a short time, you will persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would wish to God that whether in a short time or a long time, not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become as I am, except for these chains. John Wesley used this as the basis for that sermon, Almost Christian, especially verse 28, which you'll see in verse 28 in the King James Version, uses these very words. This is the King James Version. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And when Wesley read those words, he thought of himself. That's what I was. Before my heart was strangely warm, that's what I was. I was an almost Christian. That what Paul's saying about Agrippa, that was me. I believed the prophets. I believed in God. I believed in our theology. He believed in Christ. He even served Christ. But his heart wasn't there. In his mind, in his head, Wesley had been a Christian. He'd been serving Jesus, and he looked at this church full of people at at St. Mary's at Oxford University, his fellow theology students, his fellow faculty of theology there, and he, he sees them, and he sees these are folks, they believe the Scripture, they believe in Christ in their mind, they serve Christ, but their hearts aren't there yet. And so he Wesley gives us three kind of characteristics of who's the almost Christian to try to get us to think about, is that me? That's what I want you to think about today. Who's the almost Christian? Is that me? Am I almost Christian? Or am I all the way there? Am I entirely there? Is, Is this faith just in my head or has it gotten into my heart? Has this faith transformed not just what I think, but what I, what I feel and what I do? And so three attributes of the almost Christian. Number one, Wesley says they do good and they avoid evil. These are good people, Wesley says. The, the almost Christian, Wesley, before his heart was strangely warmed by God's Holy Spirit, he's a good person. The people that he's preaching to, they're good people. They try to do the right things. They try to do good and avoid evil. You you probably know folks like this. Not Christian folks, but good people. Not the people that lie and cheat and steal. Not the people that you're afraid are going to take something from. But genuinely good people. You've probably met these people. I I, I had moments in my life. Years ago, I, I had this camper. This is my story of the really the best person I ever knew who wasn't a Christian. Uh, I had a, an old 1987 Toyota Conquest camper. Some of you guys may remember this. I used to have it when I was here at Christchurch. I'd park it sometimes in the parking lot when I had to drive to work because my car was broken. Um, it was, if you remember, it was, it was a sight to behold. Um, 
But when I was in Waynesboro, one Christmas Eve, we got this idea. We were going to pack the camper. I was going to preach the Christmas Eve services at Main Street United Methodist Church in Waynesboro. And we're going to drive this camper after the Christmas Eve services to Ocala, Florida, where my parents were spending the summer. Spend Christmas morning, Christmas Day, whenever we got there with my parents on Christmas Day. And so, and so we had the camper packed. I preached the 7 o'clock service and the, 11, the 9 o'clock service. We left about 11 o'clock p.m. We headed out to Florida. We were going to drive all night long, and we made it almost to Lynchburg. We were on Route 29, the bypass around Lynchburg, and our camper broke down. The alternator had broken. The battery went all the way down, and we were stuck on the side of the road. We were completely prepared for Florida. We had suntan lotion, and we had our bikes, and we had bathing suits. We were not prepared for this at all. We had no flares. We had no flashlights. Stuck on the side of the road, 12.30 in the morning on Christmas morning. And I didn't know what to do. I was sick. My wife was sitting next to me looking at me like, I'm sorry I ever married you. The kids were <laughs> sleep in the back. It, it was a bad scene, you know. I try not to do these kind of things. Anyways, we, it was pitch black. It's Christmas morning, you know. Almost a, two cars, I think, drove by. The third car, this is like a half hour later, pulled over, and a guy rolled down his window and said, you guys need a hand? It's like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's Christmas morning, and we're stuck on the side of the road. Yeah, definitely. This guy spent an hour with us, charging up our battery to the point that it would start. Then he followed us, insisted on following us into Lynchburg so we could find a place to spend the night. The next morning, 10 o'clock in the morning, on Christmas morning, he came back to the hotel. He charged our battery again. He helped us get it to a, a mechanic, which obviously was closed Christmas Day. He came back on the 26th, met me at the mechanic, made sure that they took care of the car. I spent several hours with this guy on Christmas Day, you know? And he's asking me, what happened? Why were you broken down here in the middle of the night on Christmas Day? And I was like, well, I'm a pastor. I serve this church. I preach the, the, the Christmas Eve service. So I asked him, are you a Christian? You go to church. He's like, well, I kind of was raised in church. My parents kind of went to church, but not really. Just a really good guy, you know, just, just the kind of guy you'd want to meet if you were broken down on the side of the road. And you might know into people like that. John Wesley was that kind of person. The people he was preaching to were those guys, good people. The second thing that John Wesley says about almost Christians is that they have an outward form of godliness and religion. The 18th century, the elite in the culture, the educated in the culture, the important, significant people in the culture were very religious. Going to church, singing the hymns, confessing the creeds was a part of that polite, elite culture. And so the people that John Wesley was preaching to and himself, they were people that had this outward form of religion. Now, having an enthusiastic heart for God, that wasn't as, as well thought of, but, but being sincere and devout in your religion. And, and Wesley says, that's what I was. That, that's, that's what the people he's speaking to, the students, the faculty are. Very sincere. That's, that leads to the third attribute of this almost Christian, is that they're sincere in their religious practice. This is letter C in your sermon notes. They're sincere in their religious practice. They're not the hypocrites that act this way on Sunday and this way on Friday night. They're, they're not the hypocrites that will go and sing the hymn and then, and then run out and do the exact opposite. They, they were sincere in their faith, but their faith only got to their head. It never penetrated to their heart and their soul and their spirit. 
Wesley, on May 24th, 1839, experienced Christ and this assurance that he belonged to Christ and he was a child of God and that Christ truly made him a son of God, a child of God. And in that moment, Wesley's whole disposition changed. He, he was an Anglican priest before, he's an Anglican priest afterwards. He was an Oxford fellow before, he's an Oxford fellow before, he had, afterwards. He had Christian theology before, he had Christian theology afterwards. But what was transformed was his heart and his spirit and his soul. And so he's going to share with these folks what a real Christian, what Wesley called an altogether Christian, is all about. And he gives three attributes of the altogether Christian. Number one, this is letter A, they love God. The altogether Christian loves God. That's the difference between the almost Christian who's trying to love God because they know that's what they're supposed to do. They know that's what the Bible says they have to do. They know they, know they should love God. And the altogether Christian who loves God because God first loved them, because God put his love within us, because God loved us, we love God others. And, and Paul says the almost Christian, the first attribute that you see is this genuine love for God. This passion is another word to say, this excitement, this desire for God. Luke 10, 25 through 27, it says a lawyer, a pharisaical lawyer, stood up to put Jesus to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? You're a lawyer, you're a Pharisee, you know these things. Well, what does the Bible say? And so the Pharisee responds with Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19, saying, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Wesley says, that is the first characteristic of the true Christian, they love God. They have this desire for God. Again, not the religious person. Wesley knew, you know, the whole first 38 years of his life that he was supposed to love God, and he went through all the motions of loving God, but he didn't have that love of God in his heart. It's a love that God gives us, and then we reflect back to God that love, that desire for God, that passion for God, that longing to have God in our lives. That's the first characteristic of the altogether Christian. Brothers and sisters, do you love God? Do you have that desire for more and more of God in your life? Do you have that sense, what Paul says in Romans, that our hearts cry out to his heart, Abba, Father. Do you have that sense of that just that longing for that relationship with God? That's the first characteristic of the altogether Christian. The second characteristic characteristic of the altogether Christian is that they love others. This is letter B in your sermon notes. They love others. This is the second commandment from uh, Luke chapter 10, where the Pharisee says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. love your neighbor as yourself in verse 28. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. In other words, this is the key to eternal life. This is the key to abundant life. Love God, 
Love others. You know, at Christ Church, I know y'all have heard this before. We, we say it every week. Love God, love others. But wishing, this is the Pharisee, to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? See, that, that question right there indicates the difference between the almost Christian and the altogether Christian. Because the nature of the almost Christian is that when we are those almost Christians, we're always trying to justify ourselves. The altogether Christian is justified by Christ. We know we've been set free. We don't have to justify ourselves. We know we're righteous because of his righteousness that he gave us. But the nature of the almost Christian is that we're trying to just, well, who's my neighbor? This Pharisee's like, I know I gotta love God. I'm trying to love God. I know I gotta love my neighbor, but who's my neighbor? Is this just other Pharisees? Is this other temple leadership? Is this other Jewish people? Who do I have to love? Because I've got to figure this out if I'm going to do it, right? Well, do it and you'll live, but, but who? And of course, Jesus, to that question, shares this story of the Good Samaritan, parable of the Good Samaritan, which basically says, your neighbor is anybody that you can help, anybody you see in need, even the most despised person, even the person that a Jewish Pharisee would least in their heart, in their nature, love, the very enemy, the Samaritans. Do you love your neighbor? Not, not your literal neighbor, not your person sitting next to you, but what Wesley's talking about, what Jesus is talking about, is this love that gets within us so that we even love, we even have compassion, we even care for those who are our enemies. It's not a human love. There's no way you can ever train a Pharisee, right? A religious leader of uh, legalism, a legalistic Jewish religious leader in the first century to love a Samaritan. The Samaritan is, exact, is, the, is the Pharisee's enemy. They don't keep the law. They're not Jewish. They don't follow our practices. They don't even have the same scripture we have, right? They, they're not the same as us. You're never gonna convince a Pharisee to love a Samaritan. Only God can do that. And that's the point, is that God puts his love in us. God who loves his neighbor so much that God gave his only son. God puts his love within us to motivate us to love those who to us feel unlovely. And so Jesus, Wesley says, this is the second attribute of the altogether Christian. They love God, not just with their mind, but they, they feel this. They desire God. They love others, not just those that deserve their love, but those who yet are their enemies who persecute them, they love. And then the third attribute, characteristic of these altogether Christians is they live out the gospel life. Some of you guys saw where I was going with that. <laughs> love God, love others. Wesley uses different terms for this, but it's the same thing. They live out the gospel life. In John 3, 5 through 7, Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, another Pharisee who came at night to ask Jesus about eternal life. And Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he or she cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. 
Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. What Wesley's saying is that the altogether Christian allows God to birth a new life within them. And it's this new life, this spiritual life, this abundant life within us. It's this life within us, this new life within us that lives out the gospel life, the eternal life, the abundant life. It's not us saying, oh, Jesus wants me to do this. I'm going to do it. It's this new life. Now, I was born 51 years ago, born in Alexandria Hospital, got good parents. I got a few gripes about the way they raised me, but generally pretty good. And uh, pretty good guy, grew up in Arlington, you know, just a normal person, but not an altogether Christian. Raised in church, enjoyed church, loved church, uh, but not an altogether Christian. Not living out the gospel life. And then when I was 17 years old, and through a long process, I won't tell you now, the Holy Spirit came into my life, filled my life, transformed, gave this new life within me. Now, I've there's been times in my life when I've struggled, and there's times in my life when I've lived out in the flesh. There's other times I've lived in the spirit. But it's this life within us that God gives us that allows us to live out the gospel life. And that's what Wesley's saying. He's saying, I lived as the almost Christian. I went to theology school. I got ordained. I was a missionary. I believed this stuff in my mind. I confessed Jesus. I said the creeds. But when the Holy Spirit came on me, and I had this assurance that even I was forgiven my sins, even I was a child of God, that I belonged to Christ. All of a sudden, I went from living out this religious life to living out this gospel life, this new life, this abundant life. Well, in a lot of areas of life, almost is good enough. I mean, if your kid almost got 100% on the exam, pat them on the back, you know. Don't be the parent that's always like, well, what about this one, you know. Pat them on the back, tell them, great job, that's fine, right? If you almost keep your diet perfectly, don't beat yourself up. It's good enough, you know. You'll get there. Don't worry about it. Lots of areas of life, almost is good enough. And some of the most critical areas of life, though, almost, is closer to not at all than it is to all the way. Being almost pregnant being almost married, almost getting the job. I almost got my dream job. Okay, well, maybe next time. In some of the most important areas of life, almost is not enough. And that's true in our Christian life. If you're almost there, go. If you've almost received it, receive it. I uh, knew a student who almost got into uh, one of the uh, elite colleges and, and universities in, in North America, one, one of these um, extremely hard universities to get into. She took it all very seriously, did all the classes, all the extracurricular, wrote the perfect essay, put everything together, applied. She didn't get in, but she almost got in. She got waitlisted and got the letter that said, uh, you, in so many ways, you're an exceptional student and you meet all the qualifications of the university, but we had so many exceptional students apply that you didn't make the cut, but we put you on the waiting list and wait six weeks and you may hear back and, and well, I might have a spot for you. And she waited and she didn't get in. Almost got in, but didn't get in. I, I told this student, man, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> that is amazing. 
you almost got into this incredibly difficult school to get into. That is just unbelievable. What an accomplishment. She wasn't impressed. <laughs> she, she said, you know, I actually wanted to go there. I was like, I know, but that's still something to just, to get weightless, that's amazing. She's like, yeah, but I didn't get in. You know, I'm not going to be going there in the fall. <laughs> Almost. Well, there's a lot of great universities and colleges you can go to. <laughs> that, that was my answer. And that's true. In the United States, there are a ton of great schools you can go to and a ton of great opportunities for us all. When it comes to Christian faith, almost is not enough. Having just this head knowledge is not enough. Having just this desire, I'm going to do this on my own, is not enough. Just believing the prophets like uh, Paul says to Agrippa, just believe, just knowing that Jesus died and, and rose again, it's not enough. It, it's only when we take that and move it from there into our heart, and that's not something we do. It's something that we allow the Holy Spirit to come into our life and, and to open us up to this new life. That, that all of a sudden, we are able to love God because God loved us first. We know that. We're, we're able to love others because God's put that love within us. We're able to live out this abundant gospel life because that's the life that God's birthed within us. That's the all together. If uh, this morning, as we talk about this, something sparks in your heart that you feel like, I'm, I'm almost there. <laughs> you know, I go to church. I'm a good person. I, I I, I try to love other people. I, I try to live this out. I just encourage you, open yourself. There's a, there's a new life that God has for you. And I'm going to pray right now that you just receive that. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that, that you invite us not just to your religion or to your truth or to your message, but you invite us to you. You invite us to a new life in Christ. You invite us to receive a new birth. You invite us to be yours. Every one of us here, at some point in our life, was almost there. And right now, some of us are almost there even now. And so whether you're watching online or whether you're here in person, if, if in your heart you feel the Spirit speaking to you saying, you're almost there. I encourage you just to take that step. To say, yes, Jesus, I want to be altogether yours. Yes, Jesus, I want your spirit to be birthed into my life. Yes, Jesus, I want to move from just knowing about you to knowing you. I want to be altogether yours. And if you say that, I believe God's Spirit will birth something new within you. Come, Lord Jesus, make us yours, altogether yours. In Christ's name, amen.